You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Birth. Hello my radio friends, it's, be, it's good to be with you today and I'm happy you've joined me to hear more from God's Word, the Bible. This is Give Me the Bible program number 200. Do you know that the world's population is currently around 7.5 billion? Each day, globally, according to UNICEF estimates, 353,000 new babies are born. That amounts to 4.3 new babies each second, or 255 per minute. According to the World Factbook, the country with the highest birth rate is Niger in Africa with 51 births per 1,000 population, and that's about 5%. Monaco, on the other hand, has the lowest birth rate, with 6 births per 1,000. That's less than 1%. Interestingly, the sub-Sahara region of Africa has the highest birth rate in the world, although the countries of this region are amongst the poorest. Sociologists call this the fertility income paradox region. Here in Australia, according to 2016 statistics, there were 311,104 births registered in that year. Over three-quarters of the total Australian births occurred in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. Australia-wide, one baby is born about every 1.7 minutes. Taking into account death rates, the global population increases approximately 83 million per year. That's more than three times Australia's total population. Death rates are approximately one-third of the birth rates. So when a baby is born, immediately he or she is protected by the laws of the country where the birth takes place. Immediately the baby has rights to the health system, if there is one, and any other system that country offers. But there are complicated issues, like if a child is born in a plane or a ship. Some countries have ruled that if a child is born in their airspace or in their territorial waters, then the child becomes a citizen of that country. Others have ruled that the new child is to take on the citizenship of the country where the plane or ship is registered. Then there is the third ruling, that the child's citizenship will be the same as its parents. Here in Australia, according to information provided by the Australian Government Department of Home Affairs, 
A child born overseas or in transit will receive the nationality of its parent, provided the parent is a permanent resident of Australia. Generally, the issue is broadly split between two principles, jus sanguinis and jus soli, that is, the right of blood and or the right of soil, respectively. Jus sanguinis means citizenship is determined by the nationality of the parents, while jus soli means the citizenship is determined by the place of birth. Now, all this becomes even more fascinating as it relates to the Bible. The Bible has something to say about birth, that is, spiritual birth. The book of John, chapter 3, as has been presented in a previous program, is about an important Pharisee named Nicodemus, who secretly came to speak with Jesus at night because he did not want to gain the attention of any of his fellow Pharisees as they regarded Jesus as their enemy. Nicodemus came to find out in greater detail who Jesus was, and he also wanted to ask Jesus some questions to clear up some issues he had been thinking about. Jesus came straight to the point, saying to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And that's from John 3, 3. Needless to say, Nicodemus, who by now was getting on in years, was flabbergasted at this statement. He asked how that was possible. Would a person have to enter his mother's womb to be born again? Jesus continued, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. And that's from verse 5 of chapter 3 of John. So, this refers not to a physical birth, but a spiritual one. In other words, it would be a birth of the mind, the allegiances, the choices, the affections, the hopes and aspirations. It involves a vast change, so much so that the individual would appear to be a new, different person. If you remember, Jesus said that this being born again experience would involve two things, water and the spirit. Allow me to explain. When we are influenced by the Holy Spirit, one response is to turn to Jesus to ask for forgiveness. This is normally the beginning of a changed life. Mostly, the majority of people resist the Holy Spirit. As we are infused by the Spirit, we become convicted of things in our lives we recognize as being wrong, and we desire to live pure lives instead. The Spirit both convicts us and gives us the power to be overcomers. Jesus made two special points 
as recorded in John 16, 8 and 13. They are, When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness. And then, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit reaches people in different ways. With some, it'll be the voice of conscience. With others, they may have dreams or visions. With some, it is through the Word of God. Some have heard a voice of command when there was nobody else around. But in every case, the Holy Spirit draws people to commit themselves to the Lord and to want to live good, honest, holy, righteous lives. But what about the water Jesus mentioned to Nicodemus? Most probably Jesus was referring to baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. When someone has been changed on the inside, it is appropriate that they mark that occurrence with something special. Baptism by immersion is that marker. It signifies a public witness, a telling to the world, if you like, that the person has become a disciple that is a follower of Jesus. Now, I want you to consider this in reference to what I shared with you earlier about what is what nationality a born-again Christian experiences. Is being born again jus sanguinis, according to parentage, the right of blood, or is it jus soli, according to the right of place of birth? What do you think? My friends, it has to be a jus sanguinis, the right of blood. You see, Jesus shed his holy blood. He gave his life that we might be saved. In accepting his sacrifice to cleanse us from our sins, we become appended to him. We become his He is our master. We are his subjects. Therefore, if we become part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, through parentage, through the blood, if you like, as born-again Christians, we have dual citizenship. We are not only citizens of a country, but we are citizens of God's kingdom also. You may or may not have heard of a human psychological condition known as reality deficiency syndrome. This is where someone denies reality. For example, if there's a breakup in a relationship, there are those who refuse to accept that the breakup has happened. Another example, a parent loses a child but refuses to accept that that child has died. Some people call this condition denial. 
Unfortunately, reality deficiency syndrome shows up with Christians too. Someone might be convicted of their sin and gives their heart to the Lord. That's another way of saying they've been born again. From this point on, some feel that regardless of what they do, everything is all okay. They think they're safe and that their salvation is guaranteed. They hold the opinion that once saved, they are always saved. They believe that they will stay saved regardless. And you know, this concerns me a great deal. Firstly, they seem to regard that whatever happens, they can and will never fall from grace. And secondly, I find that attitude quite presumptive. And thirdly, and this is the most disturbing, that there is no reason to grow spiritually. Those people find no need to seek any further light. There's no reason to become more sanctified. I'm all right, Jack, is the Australian expression describing what I've just described. Such Christians, as I've just mentioned, exhibit reality deficiency syndrome. The New Testament records the names of at least three individuals who did forsake the Lord and went back into the world. They are Demas, Alexander and Hymenus. And you can read about them in 2 Timothy 4.9 and 1 Timothy 1.20. They turned their backs on truth. According to Jesus, the Holy Spirit guides people into all truth. What a disaster it is when people ignore the fact that with more truth-filled biblical information comes a greater understanding and appreciation of our God and what he has done for us. Now many of you are familiar with technology such as mobile phones and computers most of you are able to at least use the basic functions of these devices. But when you begin to learn more than the basics, you discover a world of information that can be very satisfying. Yes, it's okay to know how to do the basics when you just begin, but to ignore everything else those devices can do for you seems to be a case of ignorance. And yes, I realise that some of you who are older may not wish to explore what else is available because it's too challenging for you. You may be excused. And why I'm telling you this is because some people go just so far in their religious experience and then stop. We're going to have a little break and we'll go on straight afterwards. About tomorrow I just live from day to day I don't borrow from 
its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry about the future, for I know what Jesus said, and today I walk beside Him. to tell you about Nicholas Copernicus, who was a mathematician and astronomer who lived in the late 1400s into the mid-1500s. He discovered that the Earth was not the centre of the universe, and that even in our own solar system it was not the centre. The Sun was. Galileo Galilei was a scientist who was born around the time Copernicus died. He read and accepted Copernicus's findings. The discoveries of Copernicus and the teachings of Galilei were not popular with the established church of the day, that is, the Roman church. Galileo was called to Rome to defend his writings. He finally arrived in February 1633 and was brought before the Inquisitor Vincenzo Macalani to be charged, but he did not recant his writings. The sentence of the Inquisition was delivered on June 22, and it was in three parts. 
Number one, Galileo was found vehemently suspect of heresy, namely of having held the opinion that the sun lies motionless at the centre of the universe and that the earth is not at its centre and moves. He was required to abjure, curse and detest his opinions. Secondly, he was sentenced to formal imprisonment at the pleasure of the Inquisition. On the following day, this was commuted to house arrest, which he remained under for the rest of his life. His offending book, named Dialogue, was banned, and in an action not announced at the trial, publication of any of his works was forbidden, including any he might write in the future. The established church of the day held the belief that the earth was the centre of the universe. Galileo, following on from the discoveries of Copernicus, discovered further scientific truth. The church refused to look into the matter, and this brilliant man was punished because he was prepared to challenge the beliefs of the day. It was the church that refused to acknowledge that they were wrong, and Galileo was right. Few people today would accept that the earth lies at the centre of the universe. But there are many Christians who refuse to accept further biblical truth. They come so far and then stop. Now, many people have wondered, why are there so many churches? I believe that what I've just shared with you is largely the answer. The history of the Christian church speaks very clearly of people and movements that went some of the way to greater truth, but then stopped at a certain point, unwilling or not interested to go any further. During the Dark Ages from about 300 AD to about 1500 AD, much of the truth that was held by the Apostolic Church formed straight after Jesus went back to heaven, was lost in a sea of false doctrine and tradition. The first cab off the block was the Orthodox Church that claimed that there should be no Pope. Next came what we would call the United Brethren, who maintained that all authority for belief is to be found in the Bible. Another group emerged opposing much Roman doctrine and tradition, and that was the Church of England, which abolished images in the church and also abolished Mary worship. Then, importantly, came the Lutherans, who taught that the most significant and basic doctrine, that believers are saved by grace through faith. From there emerged the Presbyterians, who advocated practical Christianity instead of formal religion. Then came the Baptists, who believed that baptism should be by immersion. Around the same time, Methodism became strong, 
Initially, the Methodists claimed that the church and state should be separated and that the Ten Commandments were still binding. From Methodism and a mix of Protestant groups arose a movement known as Adventism. The Adventists taught that the second coming of Jesus was near. From that arose Seventh-day Adventism, where many of the beliefs held dear by the previous groups were maintained, but with special emphasis on the second coming of Christ and the sacredness of the Seventh-day Sabbath. So it has been down through history. Some religious organisations refused to budge from their set religious position. Recently, a friend gave me a Lutheran little catechism. In there I was amazed to see that even in the current day and age, Lutheranism has hardly progressed since the 1500s. It has settled into a comfort zone, despite other compelling Bible teachings. Friends, the thrust of this program today is that we need to continue to seek more light by studying and accepting what the Bible teaches and then committing ourselves to those teachings. Let the Holy Spirit guide you into all truth and don't allow yourself to be stuck in a proverbial rut. Have an open mind. Have an open heart. Be prepared to learn and accept more of what that precious book, the Bible, has to offer. We are admonished to be born again, but it is a ridiculous situation to remain a spiritual baby after one's conversion. God expects us to grow, to become mature Christians in both our understanding of his word and in our practical Christian lives. Well, that's it for now. May God bless you as you fill yourself with the riches of God's word and put into practice the new, the new truths that you learn. And so, friends, until next time, this is Len signing off and wishing you God's blessings as you open your heart to him. Yeah.